cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Bar Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Decoding Success 2021. As you can see, we have a new intro to the show. A huge shout out to my boy, Jay Bliss. It's crazy to see the progression of individuals that I've grew up around and the amazing things that they're doing and how we can collaborate. So I put that out there just in case you are maybe overlooking the people in your circle or maybe need to reconnect with some people in your circle because... I'm hype. This song gets me hype. New year, new things going down, new episodes coming out, new impact to be made, and it starts right here. First episode, 2021. You're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, on an all-new, all-all-all-new episode, new chapter of Decoding Success. Today, we're joined by our friend Tom Rath, author and researcher who has spent the past two decades studying how work can improve human health and well-being. His 10 books have sold more than 10 million copies and made hundreds of appearances on global bestsellers lists such as the New York Times, Amazon, so on and so forth. You can check out his books called How Full Is Your Bucket, Strength Finders 2.0, Strengths Based on Leadership, Well-Being, Eat, Move, Sleep, Are You Fully Charged, How Full Is Your Bucket for Kids, and The Rechargeables. Now, during his 13 years at Gallup, Tom led the organization's strengths, employee engagement, well-being, and leadership consulting worldwide. Tom has served for the past five years as an external advisor and Gallup senior scientist. He also served as vice chair of the VHL Cancer Research Organization and has been a regular lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania. Most recently, Tom co-founded a publishing company, and he is also an advisor, investor, and partner in several startups. Tom holds degrees from the University of Michigan and the University of Pennsylvania and currently resides in Arlington, Virginia with his wife. Ashley and their two kids. Today, Tom is joining us on Decoding Success to talk about a whole lot. As you could probably tell from the title of this episode, we are diving into something that I've personally loved talking about, although I have definitely struggled with this to say the absolute least. We are talking about purpose and profits, impact and income, inward success versus outward success, and the overall key to happiness. I'm not going to give that away, but that's the real big one right here and I really appreciate Tom sharing that secret to happiness. Now with that being said I want to give a huge shout out to our partners over at Acadium. If you are not a business owner, if you are a business owner, if you are a nurse, if you are a speaker, an author, whatever you're doing this could apply to you. Now Acadium has an amazing database full of remote marketing interns. Now you might be saying, well, Matt, if I'm not if I'm not a business owner, why would I be using them? Listen here. If you have any sort of project going on in your life and you need help, you will be able to find an amazing individual, which I personally use for my agency, 1B Branding, all of the time. Whether you're launching a podcast with your friends just as, you know, a hobby project, or maybe you are looking to raise money and want help promoting it, whatever the case is, there are amazing individuals 
ready and willing to help you through Acadium. You can check out their amazing database through the link in the show notes of this episode. And now without further ado, we bring to you episode number one of 2021. Tom, appreciate you joining us today. Really grateful to have you here and really excited to decode your success. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Of course. Now, Tom, first question for you straight off the bat. This is how we kick off the show. How do you personally define success? I personally define success as uh, making a real meaningful and substantive contribution to the people around you that matter most. I love that. Now, going back to Tom in high school, was that always the definition? What was Tom's high school definition of success? <laughs> That's a fun question. Um, no, I think I think uh, a high school version of success, at least early on, would have been uh, more about more inwardly focused on uh, achievement and kind of significant success that other people would look at and say, "Yeah, he's doing a good job. He's really successful." And um, I think as I got into the earliest stages of my career in particular, I realized pretty quickly that um, the more I can turn that orientation outward, uh, the better well-being I'll have and I can create for others. Right. I love that. So what was the dream in high school? Was the high sc- uh, was Tom in high school just saying, hey, let's uh, make a million bucks a year or something of that nature? I'm really curious to, to know what you dreamt of doing back then. No, I think even back then it was really about uh, doing something that would have a really significant influence in the world and um, wanting to do something that kind of socially and honestly at that point maybe driven by the uh, internal recognition of that was something that other people would look at and say, you know, he's had a big impact or been really successful uh, from more of a, a extrinsically focused motivation. Right. Now, there's a really big saying going around over the past, I want to say, uh, four years or so, maybe a little bit less. And it was quoted by Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm sure you've heard the name every now and then. And it was impact over income. I'm really curious to, to get your take on that particular saying, impact over income. Yeah, I think it's important because, uh, you know, and I, when I first started working on this most recent book, Life's Great Question, I was originally thinking of it as kind of purpose over profits, which is very similar in that same vein. And what I realized is that, you know, for a lot of us, that paycheck can be really important and it can be a good starting point in a career. But what I've learned over the years is over the span of a career, we really have to push beyond the paycheck because I think that while that might've sufficed 50 to a hundred years ago as the initial rudimentary economic compact between people and organizations, I think most of us can expect a lot more over the next 50 years. Right. I definitely agree with you, but I'm curious. I mean, I live in New York City, I, I, and wherever you live in this world, we need money, right? So, I mean, what comes first? Does the impact or the purpose come first, or does the income or the profit come first? I think in many cases, the income for needs of basic sustenance comes first. I've spent quite a bit of time throughout my career studying uh, well-being all over the world, and what are the basic factors that factor in there, and you know. I, th- I think what comes first is being able to provide for food and shelter and 
to do all the things that are necessary, essentially to minimize worry about financial stress and being able to pay your bills. And so to me, those are some of the basic needs in our modern society. And until you can essentially begin to see your way out of that, it's very difficult to focus on some of the higher level elements of nurturing your relationships and giving back to your community and the like. But I think the other very closely related challenge is that for a majority of people in uh, modern society, at least, what happens is you get to that point and then you continue to think that each doubling of income is going to produce uh, greater gains. And you do hit a point of diminishing returns pretty quickly, but yet people keep chasing that invisible ladder. Right. Now, Tom, and very vulnerable here, I very much so got caught up on both ends of the spectrum when it comes to purpose and impact and income and profit. I mean, I was super driven in my early 20s. I'm in my late 20s now where all I wanted was money, 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 money. So I was on that income and profit side. And then in my mid 20s, even to now at 27 years old, I found myself on the impact and purpose side a little bit too much. So where do you find that middle ground. I'm really curious. Does that middle ground exist at all? I think it may exist in terms of having the meaningful impact and contribution to the people who are closest to you and who are around you on a daily basis. And what I mean real specifically by that is the more I've studied this fundamentally broken relationship between people and organization that's existed for a long time in our society, um, I think what's occurring is that uh, we're not focusing on the things that are closest to home. So when you show up at work in the morning, from the time you show up to the time you go home, or if you're working from home, whatever, um, do you have more energy at the end of your work day than you do at the start of the day? And if the answer is you have less energy, why is work taking that physical and psychological energy from you? Another good question is, would your very closest friends, if you're married with your spouse or your partner, if you have kids with your children or your parents potentially say that you're a better person, you're a better friend, you're a better family member because of the work that you do each day. And I think there's there's a middle ground in there about is your life better off or the people you care about most or their lives better off because of the work that you do. And in some cases, if you focus a little bit of your evaluation there, it keeps you from worrying about the big, broad influence on the world. And I think sometimes when we talk about things like purpose and meaning and mission, they're so big and so grand that they actually take us away from the little day-to-day contributions we have that make a difference for one person we care about, one customer, one client, and the like. Right. Now, Tom, before I catch myself going any further down the rabbit hole, because I can ask you a million and one questions here, I need to know what piqued your interest into this study? You know, what piqued my interest into the study was I've got all of my background and degrees are in psychology, positive psychology in particular. I've spent a lot of my career on the topic of studying human strengths and measuring global well-being. And one of the challenges I see there is that often when people think about how I can, how can I be a better version of me or whatever the question is, they focus too much time inward, essentially navel gazing, looking at themselves and not enough time looking outward at the contribution they're making to other people. And so 
I realized the related analog is when people evaluate their lives, they say, how can I be happier? And to be honest, if I had a friend, a good friend who's really struggling with his own life, the last thing I would do is recommend he work on making himself happier. The, The first thing I would suggest is you turn your attention outward to what's the positive influence you can have on at least one other person today. And I think when we start to focus our daily energies outward, it actually makes our own lives less stressful when we worry about our happiness less and less. That's interesting. So essentially, is is the key to happiness helping other people? I mean, um, yes. if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I'm, I, I do not I do not have a background in psychology at all, but I've, you know, done some research, read some books. And if I remember correctly, the the keys to happiness were three things and they were categorized by A, B, and C. Um, and this goes back to our, prim- our primal needs. It was autonomy, belonging, and contribution. I could be totally wrong. Um, is that something you agree with? I think if you're really worried about your own happiness, you should start with the contribution part about focusing on other people and the influence you can have on them. I, the, the challenge I've seen with almost every self-help book, including ones I've written and self-development program and a statement about following your passion or finding your purpose is that it forces us to – spend too much time in our own heads worrying about ourselves. And I think if we can direct a lot more of our daily time and focus outward, those challenges will improve in the process. So I would, I would start there. Interesting. Okay, great. I love that. I love that. Now, go ahead. I was going to say that, I mean, if you really think about it, the challenge with, and, and I've talked to quite a few people about this recently challenge was saying well go focus on your own passion or what you're passionate about or the control you have of your work is that that essentially presumes that we as individuals are at the center of this world and everything else is going to fall in line and revolve around that and I, i mean i think a lot of us have learned the hard way that the world doesn't work that way most of the time Right. It most definitely doesn't. And I could, you know, vouch for my own experience here. I literally today, the reason I've been caught up going from place to place and which is exactly why I was a little late to this was because I was mentoring at one of the City University of New York's um, entrepreneurship programs. And every time I'm there, every time I mentor, every time I give advice, every time I meet with a student that's looking to pursue something in entrepreneurship, I feel amazing after, you know, and I I think that is a, a major takeaway. And I don't know what it sets off chemically inside the body, but uh, maybe you could allude to that a little bit more. It is just an amazing feeling that, I mean, I would love to replicate that daily and having this conversation, it makes me you know, think that it's very much so possible. I'm very hyper-focused on my work, 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 but um, you know, when having conversations with individuals that are looking for mentorship and things of that nature, it's really powerful. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best examples I've heard, and it, it kind of hits home about why that focus is so important, because when you like I just I, I wrote a book at the last minute related to this book Life's Great Question with a project with Amazon Original Stories and it was the title that I've always wanted to use on a book but was frankly scared to with a business book because nobody shared in the workplace but the title is uh, It's Not About You and then the subtitle is about a guide to a meaningful life where you're helping others essentially um, but the more uh, and it's a lot of that stems from I think one of the best uh questions I've ever heard was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, 
what are you doing for others? And while that question may sound like a broad existential one, I've actually used that very tactical question to reframe and refocus how I spend my time hour by hour every day for the last couple of years. And just like you were talking about, when you can spend an hour or two or ideally, a, I mean, even a half day mentoring entrepreneurs in your community, focusing on the growth of a friend, investing in a customer who really needs turned around because they're frustrated with something. Or for me, I spend a lot of my time investing an hour each day in the growth and development of my son or my daughter. It's those investments that one, you feel better about, and two, they pay dividends for your social circles and other people. And three, the best part is those efforts get to continue to grow in your absence, even when you're not there actively watering that investment or nurturing it over time. Right. So, Tom, you bring up the books. Talk to me about Life's Great Question. Discover how you contribute to the world. What is Life's Great Question? Well, I think that Dr. King probably said it better than I ever could about life's great okay. question is what are you doing for others? Okay. And how can you refocus your career in particular on the greatest areas where you can contribute to a group, to a team, to a family, to an organization, and to your community? Essentially, the the book's about helping you to figure out the place where who you are meets specific things that the world around you needs and how can you get even closer to that. And what I learned in the process and built an accompanying kind of website and profile to help people match it up when they read the book is, you know, we've spent all this time looking inward, but we haven't looked at the demand side of the equation. We've kind of failed to step back and say, how can we quantify what the world needs and then match up who we are as individuals and how we can meet those needs. That's huge. So why write this book now on your journey? Did you have an obligation to fulfill or did you just, you know, have something come come over you that was compelling and said, hey, Tom, this is the time to write this? Well, I mean, a part of it is that I I don't think we could develop a much less efficient means of matching people with jobs than what we have today if we tried to intentionally. Um, I mean, the, the way people fall into jobs, it's either for the money, like we we're talking about earlier, it's because that's what society told them to do, because it's a kind of acceptable career route. It's because of what our parents did. In many cases, you can trace back people's jobs, uh, two, three generations. Um, it's not because of there was any system or science matching up who we are as individuals, our talents, our motivations, our interests, our passions, our experiences with what the communities around us need. And so I was really motivated to step back and try and build a language and a tool so that when my kids who are nine and 11 right now, when when they enter the workforce in a decade, there will be better means and mechanisms and tools to help them end up in jobs that are much more satisfying and much more meaningful. I mean, I see it all the time now. I'm a millennial and what I witness literally daily, and I the only reason I witness this is because I'm on LinkedIn rather often and I, I always see individuals changing their job, going from company to company. Do you think this book can actually help um, almost reverse the turn, turnover cycle we're seeing with millennials. You know, people are jumping from job to job just to continuously climb that corporate ladder, right? And I, I, I get it. Like, hey, especially if you're living in a city that demands you to make X amount of money to be able to survive, to be able to live, to be able to move out, things of that nature and continuously grow and, and move on with your life in ways. Um, will this book help that? 
I certainly hope so. And that's why, you know, as, as a part of every book uh, that someone buys, whether it's a Kindle or hardcover or whatever, they get a unique code that lets them go into the website and build this profile. And the profile uh, just asks them some basic questions about what are the big roles you play in life? So for me, it's kind of being a husband and a researcher and a dad and a writer. And so I ask them, what are the things that really matter? More the kind of eulogy values you want to be known by, as David Brooks describes it, not the resume parts. And then it asks people, what have been the miles or most influential life experiences? So what have been the moments that shaped your career and why you do what you do? It asks them about their natural strengths and it asks them to prioritize how they want to contribute in their current job to their current team and in their current community and kind of forces them to prioritize the ways where they think they can uniquely contribute. And then the, the product of that is it allows each person to build a far more human version of a resume. I think one of the problems we have today, you mentioned LinkedIn, is that the average LinkedIn profile, the average resume, the average job description is almost devoid of all that makes it human and that makes it meaningful. And so I think we need to find ways to have much more personal and human conversations like you're doing with this podcast about why we do what we do. And if we can bring a little bit of that humanity into our workplace, I think it'll help us to end up in better jobs, to align the work we do in our organization with who we are a bit better. And hopefully to feel better about the work we do in the process because we're able to connect our efforts with the meaningful influence that work has on even one other person. Now, Tom, let me ask you a, a question that's popping up in my mind around the word intent and, and contribution. Um, I, and I'll give you an example. Personally, I just built a library in my local park here where I grew up. I played my high school baseball. I even drank my first beer in this park, right? It, it's a meaningful park to me. And I just built a little free library, which allows for children and adults and park goers to be able to exchange books uh, whenever they're in the park, whenever they frequent it. And, you know, at first, my intent with that project was to, it, it is to impact. It is to make an impact. I know how much books have changed my life and I want to make sure that I'm helping change lives of others. But then there have been things in my life where um, I, I knew I was contributing, but I was doing it more so for an ego um, perspective. You know, I might've taken a speaking engagement for free across the freaking country just to say that I did it and to make sure I'm posting about it on, on social media. What's your opinion on being driven by ego when it comes to, um, making a contribution per se? Boy, that's, it's a good question. And it's, there are many people I've spent time with who can openly think that through and understand some of the intent behind it. And I think to start with, your example of the library is a great one where it's essentially that you need to be able to find more time doing over the span of a career, and this can take years or decades, is to do things like the mentoring, like putting that library together, but then to also remember that for the sake of the ego, like you're talking about, it's important to go to that park and you don't have to go talk to someone, but just watch them stopping to use that library, maybe taking a book out, maybe enjoying it to acknowledge that something you did makes that difference. Because I think even in the case of real uh, altruistic, more intrinsically motivated contributions like you're talking about there, we still do, our ego needs that. It needs the moment to say, here's why the work I'm doing makes a difference for other people. So 
as much as sometimes doing things that are ego-driven gets stigmatized in our society, I think it's also important to step back and acknowledge that that can be a pretty powerful motivator when we acknowledge it and use it to motivate ourselves to do more good work that has a positive influence on other people. That's that's really where I might draw kind of a line there. Is I, and it's been an, a refreshing part of what I've seen with the generation entering the workforce today is that, you know, honestly, they don't, they don't want to go work for a cigarette company where they know their work's having a detrimental and deleterious effect on customers and people over time. They want to work for an organization that actually is adding something back into society from a value standpoint. So if your ego helps to motivate you to do more work that accomplishes those goals, I think it can be harnessed in a good way. Right. It most definitely can be harnessed in a good way. And I having this conversation makes me realize that firstly, though, let me ask you this. Why does the ego need to be fed? Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to learn this because I'm someone that may have a little bit of too much ego. And then there's moments where I don't have enough ego. So I'm really curious to, to hear your take on this. You know, a part of it is just differences within people's personalities, I think. And um, I'd be in the same camp as you where uh, I, I need that fed to fuel some of my best performance at many points in my career and um, maybe needed that more early on, still need some of that now. And there are other people who I've seen and interviewed and admired greatly who uh, they're not fed as much by some of the ego needs as others. So I, I think one thing, important thing to point out is that can probably vary quite a bit person to person. I think what is a commonality that we all share is that we want to do something that is of benefit to at least the people we care about most and the people around us in in at least 99% of cases. So that's why it's important to find ways to see the meaning we're creating. So if you're preparing food in a restaurant and you're a cook, for example, if you can see a person enjoying the meal instead of being stuck in the back of a kitchen with no windows, you make better quality food, you feel better about your work, and you're more eager to show up the next morning. And that same principle applies in call centers, it applies in manufacturing environments, it applies for software developers, for radiologists across the spectrum. Right. I couldn't agree more. Now, Tom, I want to ask you a question about this book, Life's Great Question. If someone picks this book up after hearing this interview and you only really want them to take one thing away, or actually I should say this, if they could only take away one thing from the book, what do you want that one thing to be and why? The one thing I would want them to do is to go on to the book's website, the Contribify website that we spent as much time on as we did with the book, and to put together that, it's called a Contribify profile of how they can best contribute to a community. Because I, I think the more, or just answer some of the questions we've been talking about today, that the more you can orient why you do what you do with the contribution it makes to even one other person, I think that's what kind of greases the skids and makes everything smoother in both our life and our career over time. And it's uh, I, there was a there's a great talk on YouTube from a, a guy named Ben Horowitz who founded the venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, uh, talking about how uh, we need to follow our contribution instead of our passion because it connects us with what the world needs. And I think that's the one main idea I'd like people to take away. 
Right. So I believe Pamela from your team actually sent me over a code. I'm going to have to go do this myself right after we finish this. And uh, I'm going to make sure that we are, we're continuously urging people to make sure they're doing the same. And that quote that, that you just mentioned from Ben, phenomenal. I love that. And I, I most definitely agree. Now, I do want to respect your time here, Tom. So I do have a few more questions that we always wrap up the show with. The first one being, and on the topic of advice, you've just given all of us a ton, including myself. I, I promise you, I'm sitting here taking notes about all of this. Um, if actually, let me, let me backtrack just a bit. What was a piece of advice that you didn't personally want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? Um, I think one piece of advice that I was given was that, you know, if you really believe in some of the things you're working on, you've got to continue to put yourself out there and advocate for it and do some of the things that sound more and appear more ego driven as we've talked about today. And, um, I've, I've been very hesitant to do those things because I'm a lot more comfortable with the research and writing aspects of my job and the like. But, um, I think I've, I've learned over time and I'm still reluctantly accepting the fact that I probably do need to do more of that in order for the things that I'm most passionate about to have a meaningful influence in the world. Right. Right. And I mean, Hey, I, I came across your work and I, I, I loved it right away, which is exactly why I reached out in the first place. And um, being able to amplify this some more, I'm sure more people are going to want to continue to reach out. And um, you, your, your work is phenomenal. It really is. And I, I truly do mean that. So let me ask you the flip side of the question I just asked you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've received is to spend a little bit of time every day trying to spot something important and unique in another person that they may not have noticed and to help them bring that out. I think if we, if we as leaders and individual workers and mentors, as you described, if we can spend even a few moments in a day really just observing other people and helping them to see important things they might not have noticed and help them to build on that, that that's going to be one of the most valuable contributions I think any of us can make uh, to another person's life and development into the future. That's a very interesting point. And you want to know what you've, you've given me an opportunity to do this today. I, I was just with an individual that reached out to me on LinkedIn that asked to meet up. And um, I, I mean, I saw something in that person and I said, you know what, for someone that's so early on in the, in the stages of college, they definitely exemplified something to me that really stood out. So, you know, you bring this up allows me to do that. So I most definitely want to express my gratitude for that because, um, you know, I, I think we all need that at some point, you know, and, um, that's really, really powerful to say the least. And I definitely appreciate it. So, so thank you, Tom, for bringing that up. And last question for you again, to respect your time here, if you could only give one piece of universal advice for the rest of your life, what would that be? That's a, let's say it's a broad question. One piece of advice, it would be, um, focus as much of your energy in life as possible on efforts that will continue to grow when you're gone. Okay. Break that down for me. What do you, what do you mean by that exactly? Is that, is that I, I something mean, along the lines of legacy? 
Well, no, some some of it's just practical where, you know, if I wake up in the morning and I, the easiest thing to do is to try and get to inbox zero and respond to all the crap flying at me in a given day. But if I remind myself to focus on something, whether that's a conversation with someone I'm mentoring, an hour with one of my kids, or a writing project or a research project, things that people can continue to benefit from a day from now, a week from now, a year from now, maybe a decade from now, if I'm really lucky. Like one of the first things I worked on was a book called Helpful is Your Bucket 15 years ago. And um, nowadays I walk into schools and kids are still using that book and that system that I contributed to, to do things, even though I, I could be gone from this planet at this point, but that effort continues to have a residual influence. I think when you think about your daily efforts in your work and you use the the calculus of Am I working on something today that can continue to grow exponentially, even if I'm not paying attention to it tomorrow? You usually end up spending time on things that matter a lot more. Right. Okay. I definitely appreciate that. And you brought up how full is your bucket. I randomly just thought of something here. How full does your bucket need to be? How full does your cup need to be for you to be able to make a contribution, for you to be able to help someone else? Because oftentimes we hear it and this could just be society. Um, you know, your, your cup needs to be full before you help someone else. You know, successful people are selfish. They use the example of being on a plane and, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, if the, you know, the cabin's oxygen pressure goes too low and the mass drop, you need to put yours on before you put someone else's. They use that example. What do you feel about that? I think a lot. I think that metaphor about the oxygen mask may apply very specifically to your physical health, where if you don't focus on maintaining what you need from a personal energy standpoint, there's just no way that you can be your best for other people. So I think that's one caveat. Um, I don't, I don't really buy into the um, narrative of that from a, a broader focus of time and energy standpoint, where I think if you're feeling good enough to be your best for people after that point, it's important to start focusing your effort outwards. Even if psychologically, let's say your bucket's a quarter full and you're not feeling that great, the best way to go fill your own bucket is by filling somebody else's bucket. Right. Right. That is powerful, man. That is so powerful. Tom, listen, I appreciate it. I, I know you have stuff lined up right after this interview, so I want to make sure I'm getting out of, getting you out of here in a timely manner. Where can people keep up with you? Are you on any socials? Or are you available to um, you know, take some messages on LinkedIn or something of that nature? Where are you hanging out the most these days? Yeah, I'm on social. It's primarily Twitter and LinkedIn. And then they can find out more about this book at contribify.com or about any of my books at tomrath.org. Awesome. I'm going to make sure that all of your social handles, things of that nature are in the show notes of this episode, as well as where they can grab the book, where they could take the quiz, all that good stuff. Tom, I just want to express my gratitude again for you taking the time out of your day to make an impact here on Decoding Success. Thanks so much to you and all that you're doing. Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, episode number one of 2021 is officially in the books with our friend Tom Rath. Now, I'm going to request, I'm going to ask you, if you found this episode to be of value, I'm going to ask a few things of you right now. Number one, to make sure you are sharing this with your friends, your mentors, your mentees, your inner circle, your masterminds, your group chats, your Instagram story 
peoples, um, everyone in between, right? I, I ask that of you. Make sure you tag us so that I can show you love personally and give you a shout out, have a conversation with you straight up. Whatever the case is, I want to make sure that I'm always showing love even more so than I ever did in 2021. Secondly, I'm going to ask if you found this episode to be of value, which I'm pretty sure you did if you're listening it all the way up to this point. Number two, I'm going to ask that you make sure you connect with Tom. You can find all of his information in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, number three, I'm going to ask you to make sure you're ready for what we have to come in 2021 because we are not playing around. We never have played around, but this year we're going on to year three here and we're going to do some more stuff. We're going to have some more fun. We're going to provide some more value. So make sure you're ready for what we're bringing. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.